by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Forever Mighty Podcast. It's uh, officially, Stephen, almost a month since we did our last show. Actually, it might be exactly a month. I can't remember if it was the 4th or the 8th of January we last did a show. But it's uh, it's not for a lack of effort or trying. Okay, maybe lack of effort, maybe, maybe, but not for a lack of, <laughs> of trying. Uh, we've tried to record twice. Uh, I can't remember. The first time we ended up jumping on, uh, we ended up just sitting here trying to get everything to work, and that was too late. It didn't work. And then last week we recorded an entire episode, but I forgot to record your audio. Yeah, but we're here. So we're that's here. probably an improvement for a lot of people listening. So sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. So you missed us for an entire month, which I mean, hey, that might have made your month a little bit better. But <laughs> <laughs> the Ducks aren't playing. We're on the All Star break, uh, so we figured now would be the a, a, you know better time than any to get back and get everything actually set up properly and record a show for you. So we've we've missed officially. 13 games and maybe it's a better point that we're checking in now because the last time we had jumped on the ducks had uh, rattled off seven games that we had missed to talk about and they went one five and one and then since then they went four two and oh over the last six games and they've won three straight so i guess it's a better time to jump on at least we got some some success to talk about a little bit out of the bedard race kind of but uh definitely definitely some good games to talk about at the very least yeah, they won what three in a row, something like that. Yeah, well, two are against Arizona, so I don't know if those count as. Doesn't I don't care. Doesn't care. Don't care. <laughs> it's a win. I'll take them. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, if you want to say they're worse wins because they're a bad team that we're competing with, then like fine enough. But no, man. I mean, I think in the heart of the season like this, it's it's good to get like wins and little streaks like that. You know, I think yeah. Zegers made the comment in one of his post-game interviews. He's like, you know, we're on like a three-little win streak. And like as much as the season's kind of been, you know, rough, he's like, it's nice to get a few wins and stuff like that. Especially going into the All-Star break, going on a high note, allow these guys to go take a week, week and a half, decompress, do all that kind of stuff. Um you know, and then get back on the other side of it and it's not going to be much better. And, you know, the trade deadline is uh, coming up. So, you know, a lot of these guys are, are going to be looking over their shoulders for most of the month. Yeah. So. Yeah. We have we have a, a lot of that to dive into, too, is looking at who could be on the way out, because I feel like the list just continues to get longer and longer. And maybe it's not guys we didn't expect would get moved, but just who they're open to moving at this point. Uh, I think we've heard Strom's mention, name mentioned a few times for Toronto, like guys they just signed, adding to the list of guys we were used to and, and kind of figure, guys like Klingberg and Shattenkirk who are pending UFAs. Hen- Henrik's name's kind of been thrown into the mix because he's had another consistently good season. And I think with two years left, uh, there's ways to make two that years, work yeah. if the Ducks end up taking salary back from another team. I doubt they would probably eat any on that contract would want to over two years um that would probably more so you know Klingberg's one you can guarantee they're gonna have to eat and i think they can only have two contracts retained right at a time i think you can have three retained salary contracts so you know Klingberg's gonna be one for sure yeah you never know if he gets moved that's possible the rest of them are on 
longer term deals. I mean, so. Yeah. Shattenkirk, maybe you could say, um, maybe if it's like a Toronto or something who's interested in like Kulikov mm-hmm. and you want to drop that one down because he only makes like, let me check, like two, three, I something think, like something that. real low. I think Shattenkirk of all of them might be the one. I mean, we, I forget who reported this, but that the Ducks were discussing contract extension with him. If, if any if any of them isn't moved, like I could see Klingberg for sure, and then Kulikov I think is more likely than Shattenkirk at this point. If they wanted to keep a guy, you know, a veteran guy in the locker room and on that blue line, I think he's probably the best option to keep around. Who, Kulikov? Uh, no, uh, Shattenkirk. Mm, yeah, I, I hadn't heard that. The one I had heard, oh, no, I saw Jake from, not State Farm, uh, from Late Arrivals made the comment that he would kind of. He's kind of at a point where he wouldn't necessarily hate a Klingberg extension, depending on what what the terms of it were. Yeah. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting. I hadn't heard anything about Shattenkirk. I even, I do not want to do that. Um, yeah. But the one to me that's the most interesting lately has been Henrique and his viability uh, as it goes to. Uh, Buffalo and New Jersey, because those are teams that could eat his contract completely. Yeah. Um, and I would be very, very curious. You know, obviously he's got the connections with Jersey, as, in so much as being a guy that was drafted there. Um, and then Buffalo is just a team that I think could use another, you know, top six, top nine forward, veteran however you want to look at right? it. Like they, mm-hmm. they could use a, a veteran guy who can still contribute in the top six. I think that's why Henry fits so well there. It's a really young team. So I think he'd be, and they have the cap space to make it work, right? To to be mm-hmm. able to bring him in, um, where the Ducks wouldn't have to eat any salary, and maybe there's a way to include a bad contract that Buffalo has that you could even that out a little bit if they wanted to. Um, I think Edmonton has been thrown in that mix too, is a team that could be interested in Adam Henrique. I like the fit potentially of him going back to New Jersey the way they've played this year. Be kind of a nice little end for him, right? To mm-hmm. go from New Jersey to Anaheim and then back to New Jersey when New Jersey's. Uh, good again and, and likely going to make the playoffs at this point. Uh, Vegas, I think, would be an interesting one too for Adam Henrique because Mark Stone is now officially, I think, done for the season. He had back surgery. Yeah. So he's going to go on LTIR. That's such a bummer, man. Yeah. I mean, Vegas just gets hit with this with almost everybody, it seems like, once in one guy a year. But it sucks for Mark Stone because this is, I think, the second time he's had to dealt with that and been out for a long period of time, maybe the third time that he's had back issues uh, and he's had to sit out a long period of time. But. They'll be looking to do something. Uh, they're in a, in a playoff hunt. The way their roster is built, they need to add somebody. And Henrik just seems like he'd be a really good fit for that team. They've got a lot of guys who can play in a lot of different places and do you know two way good two way guys, a solid solid team overall that I think he would fit well. Whether they can use him at center at times, if they you know if Stevenson and Eichel are, aren't in the lineup, then you can play him there. Shift him to the wing. I, I think they'll like that versatility. I think they do that a lot with Carlson as well. So he he'd be a guy you could see fitting there. But he's the hardest one, I think, to move of all of them, right? Like, you want to get something good for him because he has played well, but you got to dance around that contract and teams that can afford it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. He's he's really interesting to me because, um, you know, it, it's he's the player I think on this team that is the most attractive to a competitive team at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe if you want to say um, Max Jones, um, Max Comtois probably, but like, you know, Henrique is, I think, of all the guys that are even really 
realistically people would be interested in. I think Henrik makes the most sense just because he is playing really well right now. He's got 18 goals. Like he would be like fifth or sixth in goals if he was on New Jersey right now. Yep. Um, you know, and it's interesting that like he's only got like 12 assists on the year, so he's really just goal heavy right now. Um, but it would be interesting to see if you put him around you know, just different players in a more structured system and all that kind of stuff that comes with being moved to a contender. Yeah. I, if he might be, I like that you know, closer too. to 25, 25. I, I like, I mean, again, like I said, the, the fit with Henrik and in, um, in Vegas being able to play all of the lineup. But I think that works again. It works well in, in to what New Jersey's done this year. Jack Hughes has played down the middle, but he's usually played with guys who can step into the, the faceoff dot and win. I like the fit of Henrik playing with a player like Jack Hughes. I think when you look at the, the lineup for New Jersey, Hisher's usually gotten to play with Bratt and Palat for most of the year. Um, Jack Hughes was with Halla for a bit now. Now Halla's playing with Mercer and Tatar, and that line seems to be kind of set for them. And then Hughes right now is playing with Igor Sharangovich, who, to his own right, was impressive this year and last. And then Fabian Zetterlin. Like, you could just see where a guy like mm-hmm. Adam Henry could fit seamlessly on that line, uh, take some of the center responsibilities at faceoff away from Jack Hughes, which has benefited him all season the way Hughes is playing, and give another shooting option to Hughes on that line where he doesn't have to be the only guy in this team seemingly scoring goals, right? He's got, like, what, 30, 31 on the year, I 33, think? 33, something like that, yeah. Something ridiculous. So, yeah, I, I can see the fit there, man. Really well. Personally, that's where I would love to see him go is New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, yeah. I, I like what they've done this year. I'm, I'm, I think as much as anybody were surprised at how well they've done. And you know he fits into that team and that culture from the, the his history that he has there. And I just like the fit of him as a player would be in that roster. I don't know what New Jersey would have to give us to get him. That's the, the, the tough thing right now is the cost because of the contract he has. So that's what I was going to ask. So I lied. He would be fourth in goals. It's Jack Hughes at 33, Nico Heischer at 21, Jesper Bratt at 19, and then Dougie is next at 13 yeah so he would step in and, and i mean that would be huge for them yeah. i you know i i wonder too if like somebody else gets timo meyer if they look to bring somebody in like Henrik, because you can see where he's going to fit in you can see what he's going to be able to do he can play in pretty much every situation um and he's not you know he's not a commitment long term beyond next year and he doesn't he's not going to mess with anything up, right? Whereas, like, bringing in Timo Meyer, that's a guy that, like, you're probably going to have to give $9 million. They don't really want to do that. They kind of want to use Jack Hughes' contract as a as a, a rough cap on what guys underneath him yep. make. And it's going to be really interesting, but I, I, could, I think he makes a lot of sense there. The other one that he could make sense for, given what they just did is, in theory, is the Islanders, but they just don't have anything. Yep. And they don't have the room, and that's the. Hard they would have made sense if, if say, they missed out on Horvat, and they were looking at other options to bring in. Um, I think he would have been a good fit there, but I mean, what they ended up paying for Horvat, uh, the Islanders and the Canucks are in an interestingly similar. So let me ask you this: so. Bo Horvat is obviously having a much better yep. year than Adam Henrique. Bo Horvat is also a significantly distressed asset because of the way everything in Vancouver has mm-hmm. gone. Would would you think that the trade would be roughly the same with like Beauvillier 
and Aturadu, and maybe they don't give us the pick, or maybe they give us a different pick. Yeah, I, I think it could have. Um, like the interesting thing, thing <laughs> for me is that that seems like a package that, for what they uh, spent for Horvat in between a rental and and possibly extending him, right? Like if it was just a rental price, I feel like they could have got away with less. But if he had a came with an extension, then I think they would have had to pay a little bit more. But he's just they paid kind of right in between that. So mm-hmm. I could see Henry getting something similar because he does have next year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got that security of, okay, you're trading for him and you're getting him for this year and next year. So you can maybe ask for a little bit more there. But, yeah, I think that's fair. Like it would have been Bovillier, Aturati, and maybe not the first, and they, they keep the first to use for a different asset and you can get like a second-round pick or something for that. Yeah. I think that's probably what it would have fell around. I think that's a, a good deal if the Ducks can get something like that for Adam Henrique in the case of like a younger yeah, roster player, um, you know, a, a draft pick and a and a prospect, you know, maybe not the top prospect like Aturati was in their system, but something like that. So if you look at, you know, they don't have a great prospect pool to begin yeah. with. So but you look at maybe Boston as a team that could do that second round pick Lysel and, you know, a younger player from their roster, whoever that ends up being. I think there's a lot of teams who would do who would do that deal as long as they know they can fit Adam Henrique under their cap next year without it becoming an issue for them. Adam Henrique would be so good in Boston. Yeah. I'm going to look into this now. I want to see who we could have to take back. I, I was thinking for Horvat's case, we, we we had the schedule for later, but we might as well talk about it now. I thought Boston, and we I think we talked about this before, would have been a perfect fit for Bo Horvat to go to the Islanders was a bit of a surprise, honestly. Like I, I, I see yeah, where he fits very much so. on that roster because they were kind of shoehorning Matt Barzell still into center, and it just it hasn't really worked out for him down the middle. Um, so now they've got Horvat and Brock Nelson. At least they've got you know two guys who are bona fide top six centers in the league. So on a roster standpoint, it makes sense. I think Barzell's their top their top line center. Yeah, he's shifting to the wing now. Oh, yeah, is he? They had him uh, skating on the right wing for Bo, Ho- Bo Horvat uh, in their latest lineup. So now Nelson's two C, oh, and how about that? Horvat's going to be one C. So I think they wanted to shift, get a chance to see what Barzell can do on the wing, um, and they couldn't do that with with who they had before. Right? There wasn't much depth at center underneath of uh, Brock Nelson, so they didn't really have the opportunity to do that. So it's Lou, though. Like it's that's the the good and bad with Lou is he'll make a move. And he doesn't, you know, he's not scared to make a move like that to make the team better. But is that what the Islanders should be doing right now, right? Is that really what they should be trying to do is bring in a guy like this, selling, you know, your two best assets in terms of your best prospect and uh, your first round pick of this year to try and compete when you're not even in a playoff spot right now? Yeah, I, how would you feel about like, Basically taking, let's see, who do they have? They don't really have anybody. But I wonder, with Patches out for the year after hurting his Achilles, if, like, Jack Drury and, like, a second-round pick would be enough for Adam Henrique because he would fit perfectly fine into that – what do you call it? That LTIR space that they can create. Because as of right now, Pacioretty's not on – uh, long-term, uh, he's not on long-term injured reserve. He's just long-term injured. Right. Um, 
or he's just on injured reserve. Sorry, very different. Um, but I wonder if doing something like that would be interesting and if they would be open to that. Like, Jack Drury would be a really nice player to add to this yep. team. No, I'd be down for it. I think that's what you'd hope to go into it is is get a you know a prospect, a top four prospect in a team system and at least a second round pick for Adam Henry, especially the way he's been playing. Um, and it's yeah. not like Klingberg. He'd be a great player for Ron, yeah. too. Yeah, and it's not like Klingberg this year who might be a little bit difficult to get what you maybe wanted for him because it's been an up-and-down year statistically for him. Adam Henrique's been consistently good all year, and he's had a really good stretch of games here. He's got 11 points in his last 13 games and seven goals as well. So mm-hmm. he is you know, holding that value of not adding to it heading into the deadline. So I think when you see Meyer and maybe a few of the other bigger names that could be available if they go or it comes out that they're not moving, I think that's when you'll get teams uh, looking into Adam Henrique or teams that just aren't willing to pay what it would cost to bring in a guy like Meyer uh, or even a guy like Horvat before he ended up getting moved. He he could be a nice, cheaper secondary option for a team, and you, just, you know what you're going to get from him. There's been a definition, really, of consistency across his career of what he's going to bring to the lineup and to the locker room. What would okay? So let's say it's Felino, Lysel, and a first. Would you eat a million and a half to two million on Rico to make that deal? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't think it's detrimental to the Ducks. Like it's just, it's really just next year that you're that that affects. Yeah, because if you eat that two million, that basically makes his contract right around the same as what Felino's is right now. And he's just a much more useful player than Felino, and I think Felino would be a perfect player to bring in. I believe Perry's buyout goes down two million next year anyway, right? Like it's at its highest peak of like four or something this year that it's costing them, and I think it goes down, back down next year. I think it goes away. Either it goes away or it goes down. Yeah. So at the very least, like they they lose some money there. So eating Henrik's salary next year, you're not really losing anything in that in a sense, right? Yeah, it's gone. It's off the books. This is the last year, and it's at $2 Right, so you eat $2 million on Henrik's contract for next year. You, you act as if it was still there, in a sense. So yep. it's not the end of the world. You're going to free up $2 million at the end of the year, mm-hmm. and if you eat $2 million just to get a better like deal, that. like it's it's not bad. The Ducks have the space like to do that, that. and they're, they're not going to be desperate players, I think, in free agency this upcoming offseason where it would really make a difference to them. You know, you, We know Zegris is going to get a contract. We know Terry's going to get a contract. But even then... I don't think that two million is going to come back to to haunt them a little bit. No, yeah. not at all. I, I no, because even if they do work out an extension with Klingberg, he's clearly not going to get seven million dollars. Like there are so many different ways that I just don't like Kulikov. Probably not coming yeah. back. Shattenkirk might not come back. If he does, he's going to drop. Like I just, I don't think that that two million dollars. And what a world we live in, eh? Uh, is all that significant uh, in the big picture of the team? And I think if you can, you know, maybe pick up another pick or something like that, because they already have Boston second this year. But if they were to pick up, I don't know, a third or even just another different prospect or something like that, I think that could be great. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to bring Lysel in. That would be a lot of fun. He'd be, a, for a team that needs real serious foot speed, he could be a huge addition. Um, and his ability to play the left wing, I think, would be huge. Yeah. Like him and McTavish would be a very interesting pairing. Yeah, I, I could be down for it. I mean, I'm interested to see how this deadline is going to go. We might as well dive into it now um, and look at kind of, I guess, an assessment of the team, if we want to call it that, because we're at the All-Star break now. Yeah. A good way to look back at it. 
quick summary of the games we've missed. Like you said, five, seven, and one in the last thirteen games. Outscored fifty-seven to forty. I think before the last six, it was almost it was like thirty-nine to eighteen. So a better run. Ducks scored uh, what was it, thirteen goals over those last three games uh, on the win streak there. So that helped kind of pad the numbers mm-hmm. a bit. Still dead last in goals per game at two point four four. Uh, dead last in goals against average at four point one six. Power play is fifteen point eight six percent, ranked thirtieth. Penalty kills ranked thirtieth at seventy two point four. And the Ducks, points percentage wise, are the third worst team in the league. They, with that three game win streak, they've moved ahead of Chicago. They've moved ahead of Columbus, who's kind of firmly in the bottom after losing three in a row. And they're actually closing in on Arizona because they picked up those two wins over the Coyotes too, that uh, drew them a little bit closer. Still in that top four area where we want to be to get one of those four guys we've mentioned before, whether it's Bedard or Fantilli, Mitchkov, or Leo Carlson, but uh, moving out of it a little bit. But let's let's look at this kind of season, I guess, as a whole. Uh, you know, what did what do we expect for the rest of the season? Some pros and cons from what we've seen so far. Looking ahead at the deadline, we kind of have done that a little bit. Is this at this point? Ducks are what um, seventeen thirty one and five. What you expected at this point, below expectations, slightly above expectations? I mean, I, I feel like they've been kind of what we thought. Terry's looked good. McTavish has looked good. Zegers has looked good. Jamie looked good for the couple of games he was able to play. Um, you know, we've seen flashes from Gibby where he's been back to his old self a little bit. and You've seen some of the plays with Klingberg. Like, like there's all these little glimpses that you've seen. Um, I think you can fairly look at this roster and say there are still obviously far more questions than answers. But, but I don't know that I'm. I'm not concerned in a more meaningful way going forward about this team than I am when I came into this season. Everything I was worried about has pretty much been true, mm-hmm. or has come true, and. It's roughly been right about where you would figure. Yeah, there's been no like in both sides of things. There's been no surprises in like a good way, in a sense, and there's been no surprises mm-hmm. in a bad way. The players you hoped mm-hmm. would be good and that you hoped would continue off seasons last year, like Terry and Zegris, have been good. McTavish has jumped in and, and been almost as good as you kind of could kind of expect from him in a full rookie season. Like you know, the sample size of Drysdale has been good. Henrique has, bound, has come back and been consistent. Stroman and Vetrano have been pretty good and, and in spurts have shown why the Ducks signed them. So, like, everything has kind of panned out in an expected way, in a sense, and they're right around where you thought they probably deserve to be, which is a bottom five team in the league based off the way the roster is constructed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's been no guy who's jumped off the page and surprised everybody this year. There really just hasn't been that guy, but then there's been nobody who's fallen off and been really disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think if you wanted to be a little, I don't know, hypercritical, but a little a little more than critical, you know, I think you can look at um, John Klingberg and be a little disappointed in some of the production, some of the inconsistencies with him. But, you know, I, I think that by and large, he's been okay. He doesn't necessarily have all of the support you would kind of hope for. Um but, you know, he's starting to pick his goal scoring up a little bit. He looks a little bit more comfortable, uh, you know, activating the offensive zone and things like that. 
I've loved for Toronto. Like I think that out of all of them so far, he's been my favorite signing. Like I just love yeah. that, that kid just shoots. He just shoots every time, and it's awesome. I love it so much. Um, Ryan Strom's been okay. I think if you want to be a little disappointed in him, I think that's fair. Um, but you know, like you said, like I don't think anybody's been so noticeably disappointing or so noticeably exciting. With again, I mean, again, I, you could maybe say Klingberg because of the seven million dollar contract, but I don't necessarily think that's fair. Yeah. And if anything, I think you can say this is. You know, this was on the table for John Klingberg, which is why he's making $7 million, which is he comes into a bad team and he isn't able necessarily to perform. And, you know, the offset for that is, well, we're going to give you a lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully it's traded at the deadline. Like, I kind of want to send him back to Dallas. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day. I can't imagine it happens, but, like, didn't didn't things kind of end in a not-so-great way? With yeah, it ended a little yeah. rough. Like it wasn't, but I think anything horrible. It just it was kind of he expected them it, to give them the money he thought he was worth, and they just said nope, or we'll see you later. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I think the the rumor was like he wanted like eight by eight or something, and I think the last I heard is they had offered him somewhere between like six and seven. But I think the interesting there is before he re- before he signed this summer with Anaheim, he fired his old agent who talked who was his agent through that extension process. Yeah. I wonder with somebody else giving him new information and with him being outside of Dallas for the first time in his career, if he would be like, I actually really like Dallas. Like, you know what I mean? Because like mm-hmm. they don't have a second top four right handed D. Um, you know, it's pretty much like Colin Miller, I guess. And, you know, he fits in really well there. Like he could, it's not like he has to resign there. either. That's the thing. He could go there and then make his choice in the off season. So yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe they make a nice deep run and it just ends on a slightly higher note than it did coming into it. I, it's a really interesting one for me. Um, I don't think the, the bridge is burned completely. Like, I definitely think it's a possibility that I don't he think could so go back there. Because, yeah, like you said, I do see the fit where I think Heiskanen has benefited from power play one time this year for sure. Um, you know, I think what you said, he has 40 points. The next highest defenseman is Lindell with 14 on that team, right? Like, it's... Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, has insane. been a good, a good pickup insane. from the Rangers, but there there isn't anybody else on that team putting up points from the blue line consistently that's what Klingberg's there to do and if you can insulate him with a lot of the good kind of two-way defensemen that they have Mm -hmm. and just you know maybe limit his five on five minutes because you have guys who can do that and use him as a power play specialist a little bit more you don't have to lean on him as much as they were before I could see it working I could see it maybe he's not their number one option but if other guys go off the board at that point and they're looking at adding at the blue line and he Mm -hmm. one of the last guys left or the best available option I, I don't think they would say no, immediately, just because it's him. Would you take? What would you want in that trade? Because like the one player I'm interested in in that trade is Radic Faxa. Yeah, I, I, I think you would want like somebody who can contribute to the team now. Um, the Stars have some good prospects. I just don't know. Again, like I'm so interested to see what the eventual value is going to be on Klingberg. I, I have no idea mm-hmm. where it's going to be because I think there are teams that 
value him and can use him in a, a way properly that they might be willing to play a first or a first in a prospect. But I could also see a world where he gets significantly under that because the, the interest just isn't there. I would hope to you look at maybe, you know, not the top two prospects on Dallas by any means, but, you know, some guy that's around the fourth, fifth prospect in their system. Um, I don't... You don't think we can get Stankover? No, I don't think so. I think Stankover and I think Wyatt Johnston, I think they're they're pretty much locked in. Maybe you could somehow get away with Maverick Bork or Leon Bichelle or something like that. Uh, if you could, Ooh, walk, yeah, if you can walk away with one of those guys, I think that's a win. Um, but even if it's a lesser prospect or a faxer or something in, in their first round picks, that that's also an option um, that I would welcome. I mean, listen, if you get a first round pick and a prospect or a, a better prospect and like a second round pick for Klingberg, uh, that that's a win win, right? You sign him to do that. Anything you get for this guy is, is found money found assets at the end of the day so um i'm just interested to see what he goes for to be honest i, I have no idea what what the value is on mm-hmm. him we, we haven't really heard much either no um no predictions or, or nothing really out there on what he could potentially get other than maybe uh i, mean, I think it's frank cervelli like a month or two ago now said he could see the price being a first round pick plus on klingberg i haven't heard anything since then mm-hmm. okay so let's see number one prospect according to Friend of the show, Scott Wheeler. Mm-hmm. Logan Stankovan. Okay. Fair to say we're not getting him. Nope. Two, Maverick Bork. Okay. With Wyatt Johnston graduated, you can maybe talk yourself into it, but I still think that one's a little tougher. Yeah. Three is Thomas Harley, which is an interesting one. Yeah. Anaheim has plenty of left-handed defenders right now. I don't need that they need. They know that they need another one, especially with I do think he's more of an offensive type. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and then four is Leon Bichelle. Five is Christian Cairo, right-handed defenseman. Yep. That would be a good I think one. that's the territory you start getting in there. Is Leon Bichelle yeah. might be a, a tier above of what you could expect. I think that would be like as far up I think you could go prospect-wise. Um, but I think once you start getting into Kiss, Christian Cairo, who's after that too? After Christian Cairo? Yeah. Uh, Ayrton Martino. Okay. Yeah, so I think when you start getting into that, Riley range, Damiani is the guy. I would look yeah. at I would look at Christian Kyrie then if you can add another right-handed defenseman into the mix. Um, I think he is smaller and more offensive-minded. So again, like he's in the similar mold to what Drysdale was in the OHL. Um, that I mean, I think he's smaller than that. I, I think, think it's so, even yeah. closer to like a Boston. I think he's like five nine, five nine, five yeah. ten. But he's really good. He's a wee I've, you know, from the, the clips I've seen from him this year, I, I do like him. I think the Stars got him in a really good spot. Um, I know he got traded out of Erie this year. I'm not sure where he ended up. Where he ended up going? Sarnia. That's okay. So he's, he's playing with Pastorov, so you have that. I'm sure the Ducks have seen him enough this year. The scouts that are out there watching Pastorov and checking in on his development. So I think yeah, if, if you can't get a Bichelle and you can't aim for that top tier of their prospects, I think Christian Kyra is that next level. That if you're if you're moving Klingberg, you'd be ecstatic to get a guy like that a young player that uh, is a couple years away from making an impact on your roster, and now you've got another right-handed option in the system because they don't have too many, right? We're looking at the top prospects in the system from the blue line. On the right, Luneau is a great pickup, and I know you love him, and, and Noah uh, mm-hmm. Noah Warren as well. So if you can add Christian Cairo to that mix, who now you've got a more offensive-minded guy in, in, in Cairo, you've got... Uh, Luno was kind of in the middle of, of both of those. And then you've got Warren, who's a bit of a shutdown guy. You've got three profiles on that right-hand side behind Jimmy Drysdale when he comes back, too. So I think... Plus, you still have um, Hellison, too. Yeah, yeah. you got Hellison. Who's kind of become the forgotten man on that right side. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, and, and again, like, he could be, I think, Hellison of all of them to maybe Warren, but I think Warren's overt physicality mm-hmm. will get him into the lineup faster. But I could see Hellman, Hellman, good Lord, Hellison being a guy that um, comes up a couple of times and then maybe sticks around it closer to 25-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, a little um, bit of a longer path, but when know. he gets there, he's one of those guys that I feel like yeah. he has enough in there to stick around, so... And the other thing is bringing in guys like this, it allows you to move some of those other guys. If you, maybe you want to move Allison or somebody wants a Warren. And I, and I know uh, Verbeek has spoken very positively about Warren. He seems him as somebody who could potentially pair with Owen Zellweger and kind of provide that uh, physicality to kind of help and, offset, and, and size to offset what Zellweger does um, or any tangential risks that come with playing an undersized attacking defenseman mm-hmm. um but it, it just it gives you options and i think that's one of the things that me me and you have talked about a lot over the summer and coming into this year is it's just about current trying to keep giving yourself options so in that end i guess and because we are talking about the trade deadline and things like that like where do you feel the team is in its timeline? Like, how far away do you think it is before the team pushes for a wild card spot? I think is the best way to say it. It, it definitely, it definitely and does. Feel. Has anything this year changed it? No, not for me. Um, because we haven't had anything surprising to take it to a, a level we did, you know, to bring that timeline any closer. Um, Zegris and Terry have been good. McTavish has been kind of what we expected or hoped for for him. You know, he hasn't mm-hmm. jumped above that. He's not you know, running away with the call or a point per game player. Which again, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's nothing that showed me to say, okay, like they're first we're closer to that goal. We're a year or two mm-hmm. closer based off this or that. No, Lucas Dossel's come up and looked good. You've got you can see a future there potentially beyond John Gibson, so that helps with the timeline. McTavish has looked good. The prospects that are outside of the AHL and the NHL, Pastuov, Zellweger, Minchikov, they've all played well. You're going to add another top four uh, prospect, a really good one to your prospect pool after this year. But yeah, the, I think the timeline you're still looking at three or four years right before maybe two three years if you want to you know squeeze it a little bit but at some point you need some help consistent help for zegris and terry um when they're not going you know beyond there's adam henrique for toronto mctavish and strom every now and then but it when those guys aren't going and if the other guys aren't picking up the slack that's when you see the ducks go on these runs here where they they get outscored by almost two to three times the amount of goals they're putting in the back of the net for long stretches of games there's just not enough offensive consistency so you've got to get that guy that top elite and talent into your roster whether it's next year or the year after you've got to you know hit on guys like Pastuov and get uh you know very interesting unique players like Minchikov and Zellweger into that blue line see what guys like Leno and Warren and, and pan out to be and that's going to take two or three years um you're not going to pull a yeah. Vancouver situation here where the Ducks go out into free agency this offseason and add a bunch of guys like it's it's just likely not going to happen. So with the way things have gone this year and, and the way guys are progressing in, in the system, like you have to think, you know, two years is extremely optimistic. Three is probably right in the middle and maybe four is being a little bit pessimistic, but it's somewhere in between that two to four year range that they should be consistently competing for a wild card spot. If not, you know, higher up in the division, it just depends on 
the development time for a lot of these young guys that are on the way. Does Bedard specifically change that for you? Does Bedard make it closer to two years? If he's as good as as, as everybody thinks he's going to be, and if he steps into the NHL right away as like a point per game player instantly and a thirty to forty mm-hmm. goal threat, then it definitely does. Right, you're adding a superstar mm-hmm. into your lineup and not a superstar in two or three years. Like a guy who's a superstar at that point, he's your best player, your best offensive player immediately when you get him in the lineup. All signs point to him being that guy and having a McDavid-type impact. So, yeah, I think you add a player like that, um, you're definitely closer. You're definitely closer to that two-year. And then maybe if you do get him in the draft, that spurs you on to maybe make some additions in free agency or be able to attract some players there that you can get that timeline a little bit closer as well, right? So he makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I think if you don't get him and you get Fantilli, you know, uh, Carlson, Mitchkov, doesn't really do anything for the timeline because he can't get there for two or three years, I think, anyway, right? So Right, yeah. Um, Summer of 26 is his first opportunity yeah. to come over, assuming everybody just follows the rules. Yeah. And so if you're thinking, if you get him, then you know the timeline is going to stay the same, if not extend a little bit longer. Um, for Fantilli and Carlson, you, you know, you, you don't exactly know when, if you're going to get them right away, if Fantilli is going to mm-hmm. go back to college, if Carlson's going to stay in Sweden, if they're going to play in the AHL at any point, right? So you don't necessarily know that guy's going to step in your lineup right off the bat and you know have a Bedard-type impact that you would expect. So I think anything beyond Bedard, the timeline stays the same until you see those guys get in the lineup. But yeah, I think it's Connor Bedard. And from what we've seen from him, that immediately jumps your timeline up a little bit as talented mm-hmm. a player as, as everybody thinks and hopes that he's going to be. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me because I think, you know, again, I think this year we've seen three or four young players look exactly. My dog is drinking right now. I'm sure you can. That's hear right. That. Um, he's very rude. Um, you know, I think um, I think what we've seen is how far away the other pieces are. Right. Mm-hmm. Perot still hasn't come up. I know this is something that you've been tracking as far as being like, at what point is it a concern? I think he got scratched a couple games in a row down in the AHL. Yeah. Two assists uh, in 20 games at one point. So it was, you know, yeah. Braden Tracy's okay. Um, you know, there's Sam Colangelo, but he's a bottom six guy more than likely. You've yeah. got um, Pastyov, who I think at this point is probably your best bet for a forward outside of the team. Yeah, uh, to step in and have top six upside, um, you know, and, and I think that that is the part of this w- that we have seen. And then, you know, I think there's five question marks on defense. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at this point, if you said like who is definitely on this team the next time they're in the playoffs, I think it's Zegris, Dostal, McTavish, Terry, Drysdale. Yeah. Beyond that, I'm not prepared to put anybody else. Yeah. Um, you you could you could make an argument for Cam, but then the argument, you know, against it is, well, he's almost out of contract in four or five years, right? And if that's when you're making the playoffs at that point, a lot easier to move. Maybe you don't keep him around. He's older at that point. You've got Mintikov, you've got Zellweger, who at that point right. should hopefully be a couple years in the league that there's a chance he moved on. So, yeah, I, I think the list is fairly small, and it's just the young players 
that are in the roster currently and, and the guys that are on the way in, in Dostal and, you know, the guys we've seen at least is what you expect to be on the roster. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that's it. And that's five out of 23 guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, and, and, and I don't mean that to be discouraging. I think it's just more of there's still a bit of time to go. You know, I've seen people yeah. kind of want to go after certain free agents this summer, and I'm 100% with you still. I think it's way too early. I think they should be competing with Arizona for guys with one or two years left on those deals, picking up picks. Yeah. Um you know, the other thing, if they really want to go out and add, like, some guys to really help, then I have a very hard time thinking you don't hold Vancouver to the fire and say, when you end up with that top six, top five pick, you're going to give it to me and I'm going to take Meyer and Garland off your hand. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I just think that's, you know, those are two guys that come in, they fill a very, a very simple role. They, you know what I mean? They're going to step right in and be exactly who you need them to be. Um, and both of them get a fresh start, which sometimes can be huge and it'll probably be a new coach, you know, and I, I think that's, that might be actually, I guess the best way to start or, or frame it is we don't know what this team is until we see the next coach. Yep. Because until we get an idea of what the next coach is, everything Verbeek is saying is you know, cliches, right? He's like, we want to be tough. We want to be fast. We want to be skilled. We want to, you know, it's all that stuff. And I'm not saying he's saying anything wrong, but it's just your general stuff, right? We want to make sure we're hard to play against. We want to make sure we're responsible in our own zone. We've got these young defensive guys who are playing incredibly well in juniors, but they've got some some mistakes or some habits that they're going to have to break up in the club. And it's just like, okay, yeah, man, I see, you know, I see what he's looking at in the long term, but not every player fits with every guy. Yeah. And you know, which guys are going to fall out and which guys aren't. And it's going to be really interesting. I think, I mean, second to the draft lottery, I think hiring a coach is the biggest decision they're going to have to make this year because no matter what, they're going to get Zegers signed. They're going to get Terry signed. They're not going to let these guys walk, obviously. So, you know, at that point, I think it's the draft lottery, which isn't really in your control. Um. Yeah, it's more so, you know, if you don't get first overall, it becomes a decision at the draft who do you take at two or three when you've got a mix of names there that are kind of all together. That becomes, you know, an important decision as a result of the draft lottery, who you're taking if you don't get Bedard. If you get Bedard, you're cakewalking into the draft and you know who you're taking at one, you're not making a mistake. Uh, But yeah, the, the head coaching decision immediately after the draft becomes the most important thing on the table. Um, and like you said, you know, we could see Terry, I'm sure they've had the conversations already, but you could see that Terry and Zegris contract extensions, you know, leak into July at that point, right? Where mm-hmm. it's just not on the dock at that, that point. You want to put your full attention to it, but you've got these other things you've got to deal with immediately, getting a new coach in, um, and then figuring out what you're going to do at the draft. So according to Tankathon, as you put in our dock, mm-hmm. Uh, Montreal has six and 11 right now. Anaheim is in third. Let's say Anaheim wins a lottery, but they win the second place lottery. And you get a call from Montreal that they want six and they'll give you six and 11 for the second pick and your first, uh, your second pick and what do you call it? Um, your first, second round pick. 
I'm not moving outside the top four in this draft. I, I'm not, uh, even if it's for six and 11. You don't think? I think there's a tier, and it drops off. That's interesting. It drops off heavily after those guys for me. Um, if Mitch Cobb is available at six, do you think about it, though? If you, yeah, if you think he's going to be there. Because that's the one for me. If you think he's going to be there. That's the one for the me. The problem is that there's teams I think there's would be willing some to Some fucking wait. dork is going to take fucking... Yeah, somebody's going to screw up and let him fall past them. Somebody Don't. will, but I think there's like there's enough teams that are going to be drafting there that have a history of, of being okay waiting. I, I can see Columbus yeah, if they he's don't not going to fall past San Jose. Like, if Columbus doesn't get one, I can see Columbus doing it, right? That that seems yeah, like I don't, a move. I don't think they can. I, I don't think they it, can. It does seem it. like I a Yarmo move, right? Linen's feet are if, the yeah, if, if he feels some, some heat, then I can see it. But it does, like, it does feel like a Yarmo pick, right? Like, they picked Charnikov at 10 because yeah. they like them. They, they're fine waiting for guys. Uh, Arizona, I can see because of their timeline, and they're going to have to wait for their college guys for a couple of years anyway and wait for the new arena that they mm-hmm. might be okay taking him if they're in the mix. Uh, and the Sharks, I could see being a team that would be fine waiting mm-hmm. for him as well. Uh, Vancouver, Montreal, yeah. uh, even Chicago to some extent. I think Chicago wants a guy on the ice soon, um, and that you know yeah. they'd be leaning more towards like Carlson Fantilli if they had the option there. So, but if you if you think he's there at six. Uh, and is going to make it there, then it's a legitimate conversation to be had. But you better hope he's there at six if you're if you're yeah. going to make that move, right? Because what at that point you're looking at Zach like Benson, Will Smith, yeah, and Will Tyler, Smith. and Zach Benson it's, as your six and eleven picks, something. Like and that. they're not bad yeah. players. It's interesting, but for me, like no, there's a, there's a tier, right? And I think it's Bedard, mm-hmm. then it's Fantilli and Mitchkov. I really like Leo Carlson, but I feel like he's maybe like number four there. And then it just drops down to a mix of guys around five, six, seven, and eight. Um, but yeah, if you're in that top four, I think you want to stay there. As, as enticing as it is to pick up a six and eleven, I think in this draft you just want to make sure, you, especially where the Ducks are, you want to make sure you get that guy, right? Like you had such yeah, a bad season, sure. you want to make sure you get one of those guys. God, I want Mitchikov. I want Mitchikov if we don't get the Dart Eddie. Let's let's talk. We'll talk Mitchikov. That would make we me. Got to, I want to talk about that because I want to get your thoughts on Mitchikov. I want to wrap up the the quick trade talk. No, about yeah, the for Ducks, sure. I'm just um, with just a quick keeper sell. Uh, with you and then uh, so keep or sell give me your opinion if you think the Ducks should keep or this guy or around explore an extension whatever or sell them at the deadline and then uh, if you pick sell the likelihood of them getting moved all right Adam Henrique keep or sell Uh, I would sell uh, but I think the likelihood is not high okay and what what do you think the likelihood of getting moved is at the deadline I don't know. I'm sitting somewhere 30, around like forty percent. Yeah, I was I was thinking like twenty twenty five percent. Just yeah, if you want to get I, what you would hope to get for him before you even try moving him out. I think that there are teams who are in weird spots who could look at him, look at the certainty of having him for a second year, mm-hmm. and be like, "All right, what do we have to give Anaheim to get them to eat on this?" And he like I think thirty percent like. I think there's like a fair. yeah, like a one in three shot that he gets moved somewhere that nobody's really expecting. All right, Vitrano, keep your cell. Keep. Yeah, I'm in the same. I'm in the keep boat too. Uh, between him and he, between him and Strom, he's, I think, for him, you can see where he would fit right, and when when this team's back competing mm-hmm. for the play. Not that you can't see where Strom would fit, but I I just think with what you're paying Strom, you want him in your top six, and if a lot of guys pan out, maybe that's not you know an option at that point. Um, uh, Max Comtois, keep or sell? Sell. So, 
like I would sell at this point. Likelihood of that happening, you think it's a deadline? Forty mm, percent, maybe. Yeah, I think I think we're sitting just just south of fifty fifty at this point. I think he, he yeah. he's the leading candidate for like if you can do a one for one or something like a pull your RV for come to our some type of deal like that somewhere where you can move one of your driving guys for trade. another one. Uh, I know that's usually the Bob Murray way, but um, I like he's the most likely guy to, to to be involved in a trade like that. I think, um, and just mm-hmm. a, you know better change of scenery type trade that we love to to talk about every year. Um, Ryan Strom, keep or sell. I would be open to selling him. I think it's not even a 10% chance he gets moved. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, and I don't mind keeping him because, you know, he's a right-handed shot. Um, he plays center. He plays wing. I, I have no issues with Ryan Strom. I think he's been fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have maybe hoped a little bit more from him, but you can hope from a little bit more from everybody on this team at this point. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just I don't see a situation where he gets moved. Yeah, I I'm in the keep category too, and and it's only only sell is if you get something that you can't say no to at that point. Like it just doesn't make a right. ton of sense unless you get an offer that like you literally don't have to retain anything. You're not taking on any salary for long term from another team, and they're giving you the assets that just make it impossible to say no. Then fine, but I think the chance of that happening are you know, low under ten percent at that point. Yeah, um, I agree. John Klingberg, keep or sell? Sell. So. Yeah, that's a sell. That's the easiest sell of them all, I think. 67%. I think, you know, I think we're at it. two out of three times he I gets moved. Like for me, like a 85, 90% chance he gets moved. I just don't see how how they did, they justify keeping him around at this point. Like, I, I can understand an extension, but I, I just don't, with the way this team is played and the fact that you can get assets for him. And that mm-hmm. that's always been the plan. From right. the moment they acquired him uh, or signed him in free agency, so I, I think it's it's a high chance, and I would definitely sell. Um, Shattenkirk, keep or sell? Oh, sell. sell too. Yeah, I'm I'm in sell. Fifty fifty. Uh, yeah, I, I'm in sell fifty fifty. But if we kept him at the same point, like I I can understand. It just depends which how long and for how much, right? I can understand like the for justification me, to why you would want to keep him around, but. <sighs> Yeah, I think, you know, if he wants to do a two-by-two or a one-by-two, something like that, maybe even one-by-two-and-a-half, I don't have an issue with that. I don't know that I'd be more comfortable. I'd be comfortable giving him more than two years, and I would not be comfortable giving him more than two-and-a-half million dollars. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm right in the same boat there, I think. There's a a level where you, you have to say no. Yeah, and he seems to be an appropriately, um... Or not appropriate, that's not a fair way to say it. But he, he seems to be a guy that a lot of the guys in the room really like. And so, you know, if you think he can be a steadying veteran, calming presence and, and help, especially with what we expect to be a coaching change over the summer, yeah. um, I, I have no issue with it. Yeah, I think I think he's I think he's a so, guy you you keep around for that. Like you can justify keeping around for that. And if you're you know the hope is that he's not going to have to play anything beyond a bottom pair role. And if you're, if you're only paying him you know a one by two or a two by two or something like that, then it, it's justified. Mm-hmm. And you can flip that if you had to, right? Like there'll always be people out there looking for a um, you know a, a veteran defenseman who's won a Stanley Cup and can still play at an NHL level. Like even if you re-sign him to a deal like that, somebody will be interested in. Him if you want to move him for assets mm-hmm. down the road and you're really not going to get much less than you would get for him now. So out of, out of the mm-hmm. three, I'd, I'd 
be fine keeping him around. And then last defenseman is uh, Dmitry Kulikov, keep or sell. So. I think there would be a lot of interest in Kulikov, and, just the, the profile, right? Mm-hmm. So, fifty to sixty percent. Yeah, no, I'm I'm in that same boat. Um, I had Gibson here, but Gibson and Stolich just kind of package them together. Just obviously, it'd be one or the other. Uh, do you keep both goaltenders, or do you sell one of them? Uh, I would sell both of them and get a goalie back okay, in the Gibby yeah, trade fair. because nobody's taking that money without. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. I'm not going to be this guy again, but I'm going to be this guy. Is like, you know, it'd be great. Is Gibby for Cam Talbot? Yeah, I was looking. That'd be looking great at Toronto, him. and um, I don't think I think Samson has been like better goaltender. But if uh, Toronto was interested, he could he's been really like I was up and down. I saw somebody talking about the other day on Twitter about like this is the order, like or what do you think they need? Right? It's like scoring, defense, grit of or nothing. Yeah. And I was like, how is goaltending not on here? And then I looked, and by goalie G-A-R, I think Samsonov was like 10th or 11th in the league or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah. he He's was been good. Fine. He's been good. He's played fine. He's had a few games here or there, like anybody who where they've been off the Leafs aren't a perfect team by any means either. So um, both goaltenders have played well and struggled, but he's just been more consistent than Murray at this point. Um, I don't. Yeah, and no goalie goes undefeated, yeah. so it's not like – you know, Pittsburgh could be one. Like, it's not like there's anything. I mean, we always talk Gibson and, and <laughs> Pittsburgh, but uh, Yari's been out a couple times this year with injury. Um, and Casey, Casey Smith is just not no, good he's enough. just not good enough to fill in for a long period of time. So Pittsburgh doesn't have a lot of time left to make more runs with Crosby and Malkin Latang. Um, so that's maybe you know if they if they feel like they're locked into a corner here and Yari's not going to be their guy, you could see a move. I don't think you'd get Yari back. Mm-hmm. They'd have to figure out some way to, to fit both Yari and Gibson on, on the books and just run a tandem. But uh, it's it's always a place you could see him going. He's always seems to be linked to Pittsburgh at some point just because the goaltending's never fully solidified there. Even though it, when it does seem like they have two really good guys, you just get stretches where Yari's not the guy or he gets hurt. And then Casey DeSmith, Casey DeSmith just can't be a, a starter. He just can't. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm on the same boat. I, I think one of them gets moved. I think obviously it's way more likely it's Stolars, um, because I'm mm-hmm. still in the boat. I, I would like to see Dostal get a few more, a few more runs at it. Uh, All right. Here's here's my question. Yeah. What are the odds that we see a trade of someone we are completely not expecting? By which I mean, you're probably looking at Cam Fowler. I don't know that there's really anybody else. I feel like John Gibson could potentially Maybe. be in that category because yeah. we. I feel yeah. like it's those two. Yeah, because you're you're not expecting it to happen. Um, he's more likely maybe than Fowler because uh, the name has mm-hmm. been put out in discussions uh, over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think those are the two guys. Like really. You know, you're not moving Terry or Zegris or anybody like right. that. So, I, you know, everybody else you could make an argument she for. Said, okay, I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to ask, and everybody can yell at me later. I don't know. Let's just go on. What would you even have to ask for for Troy Terry? If 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 you if you called and you said Troy Terry's potentially available for a King's mm-hmm. Ransom, like – is it multiple firsts? Is it a top fifteen prospect? Like I mean, league wide top fifteen prospect. Like yeah, it, it has to be. Yeah. What do you even get close to enough? Well, you you have to think like you know, 
player quality wise when you look at guys like Horvat and Meyer he'll be moved they'll be moved for a lot but at the end of the day it won't be as much as they would get with the type of control that you have over Troy Terry right or a longer term contract right. on the books because you're getting a rental at that point uh, with Troy Terry you're, you are in a sense getting a rental but you control him because he's a pending RFA so you get to have that discussion. You don't have to worry about him walking or anything like that. So you are basically getting him with an extension. You just get the right to have that extension conversation with him, which honestly for the team acquiring him is almost more valuable, right? To be able to have that conversation with him uh, and, and talk about what an extension should look like. You're not just getting handed a guy who just signed a seven by seven that maybe you don't think he's worth seven million. So it, it would be a lot. Um having a good season again back-to-back good years all-star appearance again like all those things will play into it I, I think you're looking at a first you're looking at um the team's best prospect for sure and then you have to hope that you know or you have to whatever team you're dealing with that prospect needs to be top 15 top 20 league wide i would imagine um for the way he's played the contract control you get his age everything that goes into it you're asking for a lot for the Ducks, and, and unless you're unless you're even getting more than that too, unless you're getting like just an offer you can't say no to, it's not even th- something I think you explore. What if it's Shane Wright? <sighs> it's tough. It's right in that 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 range. Shane Wright to me is the line. Mm-hmm. Like Shane Wright is right at the line mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I could. I mean. What if it's Lucas Raymond? What if, like you know what I mean? Like and, and I just I just these are the questions I have because yeah. this is the kind of stuff where I'm I don't know. This is just the part of it that's really always fascinating to me is like how do you how do you try to assess value or or, or come up with a, a rough idea of value for some of these players who mean so much more? And let me be very clear. I don't want to trade for Terry. I, one, I think it's incredibly important to have guys who are a little bit older than everybody else when you're competing. I keep looking at Gabe Landeskog, who's like 28, 29 the year. They won the cup last year. Yeah. And thinking, that could be Troy Terry. Like, I don't see any reason why Troy Terry can't be 27, 28, 29 and part of the contending team, right? <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly was later. Like, again, right? I, I just don't think it's everybody's under 25 except for, like, a defenseman and a goalie. Yeah. Uh, you know. But I just – it's an insane thing because I can't tell if that speeds up or sets back the rebuild. Yeah, it, it depends. I think whatever you accept or whatever you would you would accept on a deal for Troy Terry, as the Ducks, you have to feel like you're getting above his value. Um, so then again, you're mm-hmm. looking at like that level of prospect near the top prospects in the league, a Shane Wright, or if you're talking, let's say New Jersey, a, a Holtz or something like that, or a Luke Hughes, right? Like maybe Luke Hughes is just above that tier, but those are the types of prospects you'd be asking for. You wouldn't go to a team like Boston and settle with Lysel, right? You would go to a team that no. could use him like New Jersey, like Seattle, that are going to be in the playoffs this year that have a legitimate shot at going far that also have a top prospect. And that limits your list at that point. Um, you know, off the top of my head, Seattle and, and New Jersey are two teams that fit that. Uh, but, you know, rarely does it have synergy where you've got a top team that also has a top Buffalo's prospect. A Maybe Buffalo, if you're looking at, like, Savoy or something like that. Um, you can see them. Doing... I want Owen Power. Give me Owen Power. Yeah, yeah or, or Owen Power. But, like, you know, Carolina, really not in that boat anymore of have, having – an elite prospect at that level. Um, Boston, certainly not Toronto. No Tampa Bay. No, um, the Rangers maybe, but I don't think Brennan Othman's really at that. 
at that tier level. So then you're talking about other things with it. So yeah, you know, if, if yeah, if, and you're getting one of one of Kako and Lafreniere if you trade fucking yeah, yeah. You're like there's no way you're not. Yeah, you have so, to. Yeah. So New York's one that you could see it potentially fitting. Buffalo, I think, if they really wanted to take a swing at things, you could you know try and get Savoy or if somehow get Owen Power. Um, I know that's your favorite one. That was the last time we talked about this. It was a deal around Troy Terry. If you could get Owen Power, um, you know, you're looking at at Seattle with Shane Wright, like you said. But other than that, like they're just the the rest of the teams. Maybe Minnesota with Rossi, but Terry doesn't really fit. I think what Minnesota needs at this point. So, uh, yeah, it's not a ton of. Well, options. the other thing with that is they have the Detroit. Terry's going to make a shit ton of money next year. Yeah, yeah, and, and some of those teams can't do that, right? Uh, Minnesota being one of them, they just can't take on the extra cap hit next year. But certainly, um, a team like New Jersey, a team like Buffalo, a team like Seattle, they would be able to to be able to make that work mm-hmm. and build that extension in. So it's it's possible. St. Louis would be a weird one. I don't know that they have anybody. Yeah, they don't. But they if don't they really move Tarasenko, yeah. hmm. and they yeah. can't, they, they you, you can't afford to move anybody off the roster already. Too, I, I feel like for them, it's it, they can't make a big move, right? You've got Bujnevich, you've got Kiru, you've got Robert Thomas, you've got you know, and if Tarasenko goes, right. and somehow you want to bring in a replacement, but they just don't have the prospects or anything to right. for it to make sense for Anaheim, but. Yeah, like if anything is surprising, it would be Terry or it'd be Fowler or it'd be Gibson. That those would be surprising trades, mm-hmm. but with the likelihood of one forward Klingberg and maybe another defenseman like Kulikov already getting moved, maybe a, a goaltender too like Stolarz, it becomes unlikely and almost just you're presented mm-hmm. with this opportunity from another team, and it's just too good to say no to. That that I don't think they're actively out saying, "Hey, what would you give us for this guy?" It's just I you're agree. sitting back one day and Verbeek gets a phone call from. Uh, you know, whatever GM and says, right. "Hey, listen, we're going to give you this for Troy Terry." And you're like, "Damn, <laughs> I get you know, we'll 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 talk about this, but it, it looks like it's a possibility." So, um, all right, Columbus would be fascinating. Yeah, I don't know what they're. I, they can't right like the Nemich. Yeah, well, Nemich is is uh, Yurchek is is Columbus. Yeah. Yurchek, sorry, he, yeah, I he. If right. you could somehow, I, I don't think Columbus like they desperately need a guy like that in their roster, a right-handed shot like him. But he's playing really, really well in the AHL, uh, and he had a good World Juniors as well. Like he's a guy they gotta they gotta hope he can play next year, right? Like Columbus yeah, is looking absolutely. at adding a Fantilli or a Carlson or a Bedard, getting Yurchek in the lineup, getting Wierenski back healthy next year. Um, who's the other defenseman they got? Matichuk, a couple of years away from him too. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. hoping that uh, those pieces can stick around, and Goodrow and Line a and all them are, are still going to be here. And Goodrow will be like that guy you said, that Landeskog type guy, when they hope that they're competing for playoff spots in the Stanley Cup. You know, thirty one, thirty two, older player on the roster, but still contributing. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah, yeah. All right. Um, no weird. We we talked trade deadline. We talked prospects. Um, we have two prospect things I want to get into. Your love of Matt Mitchkov and why he's your number two, and then a poll you mm-hmm. put out on Twitter about who, one. There's two parter. Do the Ducks have a number one defenseman in their system or a guy who could hit that level? Which the vote was yes. It wasn't it was forty percent yes? I think. Um, yeah, and then who's mo- follow up to that was who's most likely to develop as a number one D, which Mintikov slightly edged out uh, Zellweger, right? That was the result, I think. Yeah, 
Um, so yeah. we'll we'll get into that one, but let's talk about your love for Matt, Matt Vay Mitchkov because we've talked about Bedard and Fantilli and Mitchkov a little bit. He's your guy outside of Bedard now, right? Yeah, um, I think so. Basically, my thing with it is Anaheim needs goals. Like I think McTavish has the opportunity to be a goal scorer, and so much as he can probably hit thirty. More times than not, I don't know that he can hit 45. Um, you know, I had a, a brief stint there uh, last year where he was just putting them in from the playoff dot. And I was just like, all I could do was just be excited about it. Um, you know, I don't think Zegris is a 40 goal guy. I think really you're like, hopefully Troy Terry's a 40 goal guy consistently, right? But other than that, what you've got, what you've got, is a lot of guys who seem to be in probably the, I mean, in a great world, you're looking at a lot of guys between sixty-five and eighty-five points. Yeah. Fucking awesome, love it, super stoked. Matt Vaymichkov has legitimate fifty-goal upside, and we're seeing scoring boom, or increase around the league. Let me not say boom, but like it yeah. feels like it for you know people our age, I guess. Um, as we're seeing scoring go up, I think it becomes more and more important. I think the the balance he would bring to the lineup is incredibly valuable. And I do think stashing him for three years is a huge bonus for Anaheim. Because in that time, you have the opportunity to build this roster up a little bit more, get it into a point where it can push for that wild card spot, right? Or third, or however, the, you know, the Pacific's weird, and playoffs are weird every year. But, like, kind of make it happen that way. And if that happened, you then drop this fucking potential superstar right into the lineup as these other kids are right in the middle of their stride. Yeah. You hope it's like and uh, I wonder if he has a cap result. Yeah, that's what I say. You hope it's a Minnesota situation just where you're maybe a little bit more developed or throughout the lineup before he gets there. You know, Kaprizov got there mm-hmm. and then Rossi wasn't there yet and still isn't ready yet and Boldy was just coming in and now he's starting to get going and you've got some of the you know Erickson Atkins well, Erickson and Atkin hit Greenway at hit. Yeah. So you you know they, they you're hoping have... you're there but a few years down the road, right? Because now you're 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 mm-hmm. Rossi in the sense of like your McTavish is ready and your Zegris is there and right. Terry's still there and everybody's ready and then you can just drop Mitchkov in and it's the Kaprizov effect, but on a much better team, a much better built team around yeah. it where you just drop in the the you know certainly a much stronger guy. forward group. Yeah, certainly a hundred percent. Yeah, so it's uh, I mean that's the goal. That would be the plan. And that's what you'd hope for with Mitchkov. I think you know if you want goals. Bedard, if you want anything, but if you want goals, Bedard is still your number one pick um, at number one, no matter yeah. what. But if you're if you're going to go next best guy, I think you know the argument I could take. Uh, I'm, I'm still you could convince me Mitchkov over Fantilli, even though you get Mitchkov maybe a, a year or two later. Just last year, there was no question, right? It was and there was talk of Mitchkov could rival Bedard, and then the World Juniors happened this year, and Bedard's great season. And the fact that Mitchkov couldn't be at the World Junior Championship, which whether you like it or not, is going to hurt the draft stock a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the KHL just being the way it is, that the numbers don't look impressive when you look at just take everything out of context and just look at the numbers that he's producing in the KHL. For a player his age to be doing it at the KHL, it's amazing. Uh, But that all kind of goes into it. Well, all of a sudden, this guy starts falling. 
people aren't looking at him as much. And then you have a guy like Fantilli who, who started the, the way he has in college and putting up an impressive well, close to record setting season there that all of a sudden it starts falling off a bit. But I think people forget how the hype train that had built over Mitchkov last year that just really hasn't fully followed into this year. So he'd be a guy I would love to get. And, and I'm still split 50-50. And it's, it's only because you're getting Mitchkov later. Other other than that, mm-hmm. if you could get Mitchkov in next year, I'd probably have him above Fantilli just with the the, the potential there, the potential to be a superstar in this league. I, I think Fantilli's. I have a hard great, time but... thinking he wouldn't be two with a bullet if he was coming over, even if he was coming over two years, yeah. right? If he was next year is off, the year after that he's in. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a conversation. Because no. you're fine with that. I mean, that's most players. It's your the yeah. next their D plus one season. They're in college or junior still or overseas, and then they would come the next year anyway, unless they're, you know, one of five guys really from that draft. But mm-hmm. yeah, the fact that it's two, I think, is the thing. Because you know, Fantilli, there's no guarantee he plays in the NHL next year. He could go back to Michigan and play in college. That's a really, it's a possibility for sure. Absolutely. Um, so if it was one year for Mitchkov, you're like, oh, okay, it's not too bad. Two years three years then it becomes okay like now we're losing out of time that we would have had this other guy and how, right. how much more do we like Mitch Cobb that we're willing to forego the, that year or whatever and have to deal with the the issues of him maybe he doesn't come over and does he sign another KHL contract and whatever right but you would have all that worked out through draft interviews and, and anything hopefully beforehand that you know exactly what type of situation you're getting in you've talked to the player you've talked to agents you understand that no, no, the plan for this kid is in when his contract's up in the KHL, he's coming over. And and then I think you're you're comfortable. And when you know the date and you know with, you know, close to absolute certainty that you're getting this guy at this time, that's when you can say, okay, we'll, we'll wait. We think he's that much better than this next guy. And I think the other thing that kind of has to come into the calculus too, because I, I do understand the concerns. This, for me, is an upside play. Um. But I also do think there is something to be said of if you get a Fantilli or a Carlson, you know, even if they stay one more year wherever they're at and then they come over for 24-25. Yeah. That's 24-25 and 25-26. That's two years of getting to help build these guys, bring them in, develop them, get them in your culture, get them around your coaches, learning your system, all this stuff. Yep. The issue with Mitch Cobb is you're – punting on that opportunity now the counterpoint is he's playing in the khl he's playing against men you know what i mean so there it's not like you know he's waiting three years and he's playing beer league in you know yeah florida or some shit of of all guys who come from any league and just can drop right into the nhl seamlessly more often than not that's from the khl right like they drop in and there's not a huge difference and, and they don't need any time to adjust. Whereas from the other leagues, when you see forwards come over, you get um, sometimes a slower side. I mean, we look at, I, I don't want to throw him over the bus because I think he's been good, but you look at Regenda, you look at, uh, you know, some of the top forwards that have come over from Sweden um, as high profile free agent signings or whatever, European signings that all of a sudden um, they don't pan out at the NHL level with the KHL. I think you see that less frequently. So, yeah, I, I, it's tough. I mean, you're dropping any player when you drop any player into a situation, um, and they haven't had time to you know play in your system, under work under your coaching staff, and whatever you run the risk of that first year it doesn't pan out or whatever. But uh, 
you think that he's as talented as he's going to be, those guys usually have no problem fitting in, right? Like, yeah, it, it, exactly. Kaprizov fit seamlessly into Minnesota. Um, you know, when Kucherov came over. Well, yeah, when you're that fucking good. That's what I'm saying. Like, Kucherov, Kaprizov, if we think Mitchkov's going to be at that level, who that's who he's getting compared to at this point is, the, you know, two top Russian forwards in, in the league, um, younger ones, when I want to throw Ovechkin under the bus. But uh, you look at Kucherov and, and Kaprizov, that's what I think a lot of people think Mitchkov could be, if not better, then he should have no problem fitting into any system anywhere, right? Like, you just mm-hmm. plug him in, and he's so good that it doesn't matter. Right, exactly. And... You know, uh, it, it's just the the fucking raw goal scoring totals mm-hmm. that he could theoretically, you know, because again with draft picks, it's obviously it's all theoretical. But just, I mean, he would probably come in as the best goal scoring prospect since Bobby, maybe. Yeah. Maybe even if you wanted to really be weird about it, you could say Korea. Like, like yeah. just raw goal scoring. Right? I think, you know, Line A definitely got some of that that treatment um, of being like just a pure raw goal scorer. Um, but for Anaheim. But, I mean, oh, yeah, for Anaheim, then yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. No, because, yeah, there's been plenty. Like, there's been more than a few. I mean, Austin Matthews is probably the best goal scoring prospect that we've seen. Patrick Line is right up there, like you're saying. Like, yeah. There's a couple of these guys that we've seen but i think if you're anon you have an opportunity to add a player stylistically that you haven't really ever had yeah yeah i mean listen perry's a great goal scorer but style uh, you, you didn't have that profile coming in that you know yeah he went 18th in the draft for a reason yeah, yeah so I mean, I'm, 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 I'd be excited for him for sure. I mean, like, listen, the, it, the, anybody in the top four, I'm happy with. Anybody in the top, my top three of Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkov, I, I think you're ecstatic with. I, I do like Leo Carlson a lot. Just looking at reports on these guys, watching some game footage of them, and just like the pure raw potential for the three of them, I think is just a little bit above Carlson. I think Carlson is going to be great. I'd be happy with him in Anaheim if the Ducks got him at four. Uh, but for for sure, like the prize is Bedard. If you don't get Bedard, I think it's it depends on your choice between Mitchkov and Fantilli. But if you end up with one of them, you're extremely happy, no matter what. So if you're yeah. at three, then you you just take whoever's left. I think of those guys and and run away happy. So yeah, as long as they stay within that mix, I think it's gonna be great. But um, Mitchkov seems after his loan move, uh, who's he was St. Petersburg before, and now he's playing for Sochi. Yeah, SK St. Petersburg. Since, yeah. since going to to Sochi, it's been back to what you expected from him. The numbers he's putting up as an 18-year-old in the KHL are impressive, so I think he'll work yeah, his way back up. He'll work his way back up that list, and there's going to be some teams if he has a strong finish to the season that will take notice. Nobody's pushing Bedard, but you could see Mitchkov potentially pop back in front of Fantilli for that number two spot if, if a team really likes him that much more. I Mitchkov, to me, is going to be the one that I am very fascinated to see where he goes, because again, I, you know, just sat here telling you all the reasons I would take him at second, but I, you know, I think it was on the PDO cast, Cam Robinson was talking to Dimitri, and Cam was like, he had two guys from teams tell him he wouldn't, they wouldn't take Mitchkov in the top 20, and Dimitri made the point that I thought was very funny and probably true, which is, it sounds like two teams that aren't going to have picks in the 20s, and then Cam made the joke, like, oh yeah, they also might just be feeding me crap to get me to say stuff out loud, and then people think he's going to fall. Or, you know, maybe he's, you know, whatever. And I thought those were very funny. But, like, I don't think he'll fall 
like Ratu did. I don't think he'll fall like Lambert did. Or even like Pud Colson. I don't think he'll fall to 10. Yeah. You know, I yeah, like, I mean, I don't think he'll fall like Rossi, who was probably maybe the fifth best prospect that yeah. year. You know, um, I think some people had Rossi uh, ahead of Drysdale and Sanderson in that draft. Um, so it, it's going to be really interesting. I, I think what happens to Mitch Bob is going to be fascinating. I, I also think you can't ignore the non-hockey parts of this, which is everything going on in the Ukraine right now, the already strained relationships between the United States and Canada and Russia and like all of that. Like it, it's just messy. It's a, a lot. I could see him in theory falling to 10, 11, 12. I don't think he will. I think there's too many teams between, you know, five and nine who are like, fuck it, let's just take it. Yeah. We're not going to get a better opportunity anytime soon to get someone this good. Yeah. He's just that much um, better, I think, than the guys below them that teams will take that risk where it's yeah. there's less concerns than some of the other guys have fallen. Um, it'd be like a Shane Wright fall, essentially. Like, you wouldn't fall below four or five. Yeah. Right? He's exactly. still good enough that you have to take him no matter what. So, um, all right. We the other poll I talked about who's most likely to develop as number one D. You listed Mintikov, Zellweger, Drysdale, right, and then other as the options. Um, and it was overwhelmingly Mintikov or Zellweger. Mintikov's edge, Zellweger, Drysdale seems like an afterthought at this point. Even though I think if he was healthy this year, there'd be a little bit more votes. It's just with the injury and everything, the other guys have impressed so much that it's a recency bias type thing. Um, yeah. So the first poll was, do the Anaheim Ducks have a number one defenseman in their prospect pool as of right now? The answers were yes, definitely, maybe, probably, maybe, but not likely, and absolutely not. Definitely, one, 40%, maybe, probably, was 35% second. Maybe, but not likely, was 17, and absolutely not, was 8. Okay. So the majority of fans think the Ducks' next number one defenseman is in in the prospect pool right now. Yeah. Next question, who is most likely to emerge as a number one D1, a D-man for Anaheim? Drysdale, Zellweger, Minchikov, other, reply with answer. Drysdale, 25%, Zellweger, 35%, Minchikov, 38%. Okay. Other, expect. 2%. Yeah. You cannot convince me that Minchikov being 3% higher than Zellweger isn't because he's also three inches taller. Yeah, and... I just don't see how the fact that he's 6'1 over 5'10 or 5'9.5 doesn't make – doesn't account for that gap to me. Yeah, I, I think – Because he's just bigger. He's more physical. It's newer. The way he's played this year, uh-huh. the headlines he's put up this year. Um, like he's cooled down since going to Ottawa. It's been the complete opposite of what he had in Saginaw. That was my one concern and issue with him going to a team where he's not the only guy in that blue line that can do anything. Um, it's again, it's not like he's been bad, but he's not asked to do the same thing where Ottawa has other options on the blue line. Now he can kind of, doesn't have to be the guy who breaks out the puck every single time and, and does everything from the blue line. his penalty kill power play like he was for Saginaw. So he's slowed down a little bit, but I still think what he did earlier in this year and the fact that nothing against Zellweger, he's having just a, as good a year as last year. It's that newness, right? It's, we just drafted Mintikov. He started excellently this year he's risen he's raised his stock beyond what it was when he got drafted and now everybody's you know kind of in that that hype train of him potentially being that then obviously there's still some love for Zellweger because how he's played this year and what he did at the world juniors and then Jamie 
still getting 25% is surprising for me. I think I, I think he should be right in the mix with both of these guys, if not higher, because, you know, the fact that he's in the NHL at this point. Um, but it's just the injury, right? The injury and all things considered, you know, not at the same level as what people are expecting number one defenseman to be in their in their first or second season last year. I think he was great. but So let me ask you this. Uh, sorry. No, uh, yeah. What is a number one defenseman to you? So yeah, I, th- I think that's the question. Is if you're thinking it's a, it's Makar or something like that, then nobody's going to have a number one defenseman in their system because Makar is almost a level above that, right? It's elite superstar at that point, and that's not necessarily what we're saying. We're saying, do the Ducks have a number one defenseman in this? Who's system? the worst number one defenseman you can think of? That's tough. That's I. That's the question. I think the way you yeah, ask that it's question, a, it's who's a, the worst number one defenseman. Unfair you can question of? in a sense because again, who are you comparing that to? And you know, they're all great defensemen because they're still number one defensemen. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you know you could look at Lindholm and McAvoy um, as options because if you're but then what are you basing it off of? Right, like that's that's the problem. Is if you're basing it off points, then maybe you throw them in there. But they do a lot of other things better than the point getting defensemen do necessarily. Do a lot of things well rounded. You could put Ekblad in that conversation if you want. Say he's maybe the worst number one defenseman out there. But I you have to look across the board, and and some teams don't have any. I mean, right? So there's there's teams who don't have any either. So. I think you can make an argument that simply based on age, you could look at uh, Dowdy or Edmund. Yeah. But, like, again, at their peak, they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Seth you know, Jones, Carlson. if you think he's number one defenseman, you could say he's the worst, he's but not. I don't think he's, he's number one defenseman not. at this point. I don't think he's number two defenseman. Yeah. Um, uh, hey, Dougie, remember, when, you know. remember, remember when you thought he was better than Hampus Lindholm? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was valid at the time. It was valid at the time. It was not valid at the time. It was, it was more. It, it made we more don't have sense to do this. at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Keep telling yourself. Okay, so you question before we get into the other because I know there's a guy you want to mention. I think there is only one other guy than those three that you could make a case for. Um, no more of of the three: <laughs> Drysdale, Mintikov, Zellweger. Who do you think has the best chance of being a number one defenseman, or do you think any of them are number one defensemen? Oh, like with the potential to be of the three of them, I want to say Drysdale just because I've seen him play solid defense. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like not great defense, but he's still young and he's a little small. I think as he gets older, as he fills out a little bit more, his skating isn't going to get worse. He's only going to get smarter. Like I just, I think you could talk me into it being Drysdale. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced there's a number one D in this prospect pool right now. I really am not convinced of this. And that's a very curious thing to me. Because what I think of as a number one defenseman is a guy who's going to play 25 plus minutes a night and should be an asset at both ends of the ice. Mm -hmm. Even if it's like the peak of Eric Carlson where it's just like he just gets the puck out of the zone immediately, yeah. right? Like and if he makes he, a mistake, he's quick enough to moving. get back to at least you know, he's yeah. not the best defender, but he's got the the speed or no, whatever and, to and, do it. So right, you can't have him out there in front of his own net and stuff yeah. like that trying to do that. Like right, he's going to be miscast. Mm-hmm. But the offensive upside is so significant, and the intelligence is so high that you absolutely can mitigate some of those defensive mistakes yeah. in his own end. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I just don't know that they have any. I'm a bit more optimistic, I think, maybe than, than you with the, the pool in terms of guys potentially being number one defensemen. I still think, in all fairness, it should be Drysdale, who should be number one. I think, mm-hmm. for me, Minchikov has narrowed the gap to where I put him just below Drysdale um, and pushing above him, but it's not fair to say he's above him yet when we haven't seen Drysdale play this year at all, really, right? So it's I, for me, it's not right. fair to, to put him above him. But I think when you look at Min, uh, Minchikov and Zellweger, and this isn't a detriment to Zellweger. I think he's a great defenseman. I think there's going to be certain situations that he's just a lot better in at the NHL level. I think he's going to be a real solid top four defenseman, a guy you could potentially put in like the number two number three category i just think there's there's going to be some things that limit him from being a number one defenseman but Mintikov, i think he has that that shot because he's got the ability to get the puck out of the zone he's one of the most dynamic puck carriers outside of the nhl at this point and he's got the size and the reach and now he's worked on the defensive game that i could see him being a number one defenseman at the nhl level if everything comes together i just feel like he mm-hmm. has the a little bit more of a chance than Zellweger, and I love Olin Zellweger, but uh, for, for me, I, I would put him at, at having more of a chance to do so. And the real question mark becomes, you know, when we get outside of the junior level, how much of that translates, whether it's the offense or his right. ability to defend, because there have been question marks about that before. But, yeah, for me, like Drysdale, I think, has the potential to be a number one. I think Minjikov's in that discussion. Zellweger, I'd put outside of it just a little bit right now. But if if he became a number one defenseman, I still think that's his absolute ceiling, right? Like, I still think there's there's the potential in there for there's him. There's a version where he's yeah. Jared Spurgeon with more points. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think at that point it would be fair to say he's a number one. Um, mm-hmm. Unless somebody on the team was better than him, if you're looking at Mintikov or Drysdale. Right. Now, the other guy, you mentioned him as being a guy you think. I think you said, you said this to me. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but you said he was the most likely out of all of them. You think he's the yes. most likely of all of them to be a number one defenseman. That's Tristan Luneau. Yes. So the way I said it was, I don't think that there is a number one in the system. But if I had to put money on a guy to be that guy, I would put it on Tristan Luneau. Okay. I think he's got good size. He's got really good skating. He has shown, when we talked about Scott, and Scott was just talking about how smart and, and responsible a two-way game he plays. I think his puck skills have improved. I think we've seen him have more offense uh, as he's gotten a little bit older. Um, like, I think he's got pretty good points this yep. year. I haven't checked in a minute. In, in but 45 I, games, he had 43 and 63 last year. So it's definitely an Yeah, so, like, his, you know, I, I think that there is a version where he is, oh, man, this is such a shitty thing. But, like, McAvoy light. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where he's got enough size because McAvoy's not that big. I think McAvoy's six foot, six foot one. Um, yeah, and Luno's six, you know, six one, like one ninety or something right now. So, so I could see a version of it where he's kind of like that, you know, where he's maybe closer to this version of Hampus Lindholm, which is obviously the the best version of Hampus we've ever seen. But he has that kind of two way ability, and his puck skills are underrated, and he's able to produce more at the next level than we think there is a world i think where that's a very real thing i think he has the highest likelihood of all of them i still don't think that guy's in the system yet and i would love for nothing more than to be wrong but i think for me like even all of that said 
if you told me Minchikov, Dreesdale, Zellweger, Leno was our top four in four years, yeah. I'd be ecstatic. Yeah. And and I, I there's a ver- like there's a version of that top four that is phenomenal and incredibly suited to play a more modern attacking skill based game. Yeah. All size, speed, smart hockey players can do a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them are you know significantly bad defenders. Um, and we've seen development from Leno, we've seen development from Drysdale, we've seen development from Minchikov in that. Zellweger um, is really... I think Leno's the most competent defensive yeah, player in that group. I, I think so. I think he's, he might be the smartest player in the group. And, and that's saying something when you've got Minchikov and Drysdale and Zellweger there, but just like the hockey yeah. sense that comes with it, I think that's going to really help him. And the, the big thing from him, too, is the jump he's had offensively this year. Like, that happens as you progress mm-hmm. through junior, but... The concern was, okay, you know, 43 points in 63 games in the draft year is nice. This was a guy, though, who was originally drafted first overall uh, in the QMJHL draft. Like, this was a guy they expected to be, you know, an offensive juggernaut as well as kind of all well-rounded everywhere else. And that last year was a bit of a disappointment. And then come out this year in the way he's played over a point per game, um, you know, equaled and, and passed all of his numbers last year in 63 games already in just the 45 he's played. So he's a guy who's working his way in that discussion when you think, okay, like maybe if you don't agree the Ducks have a number one defenseman, I think you can agree right now in the prospect pool, they all have it. They have at least four guys who look like they're going to be top four defensemen at the NHL level in Drysdale, Mintikov, Zellweger, and Leno. And if you can have your top four with those guys, I think that's solid. And maybe only one of them pans out and becomes a number one or a number two, or maybe two of them do. But you've got four guys you're comfortable saying, in two or three years' time, are on this roster and should be on this roster. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you know you can even go a step farther and say there are four guys right now. These four guys that we're talking about, who all have legitimate top uh, top pairing upside. You know what I mean? They might not be the best player on a top pair, right? I think you know that like that kind of like you could end up with like something closer to Devin Taves or Mackenzie Wegar, where it's like, no, no, these guys are really good. They can probably hold down a second line on their, or a second pair on their own, but they are absolutely good enough to play your 25 minutes a night top pair lineup. And that's huge. Like, I think that's incredibly exciting. And then you've got, you know, depth players, which I still think, you know, Anaheim is going to need. They're going to need a guy like Tyson Hines and no one warned to hit. Mm-hmm. Because they are going to need to find that size. Like, I think as the skill increases, we are going to see bigger scoring forwards. Slavkovskis, you know, guys like that who who are really able to use their body to drive to the front of the net and create chaos. And you're going to need guys who can play with them. Yeah, yeah. Noah Um, Warren seems like the the guy to be that at this point, but I think Drew Hellison... Definitely a good chance, and Tyson Hines is a good shout <laughs> Tyson as well. Hines. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything. Tyson Hines, a lefty. The other two are righties. You've got some options there um, right. of guys. I think Henry Thrun is still an option too. He, he's mm-hmm. bigger, kind of more two-way, defensive-minded guy as well. Um, so he's one that could come up, and then even again, the rest of the guys you round up the system: Ian Moore, Jackson Lacombe. You've got some versatile options down there. So the Ducks have a lot of those guys who, if if they don't have the potential to be a top four guy, they do look like players who could play in the NHL or play a role at the NHL level. So they've got a lot mm-hmm. of kicks at the can for some of these guys yeah. to pan out. 
uh, and turn into NHL defensemen, which is good. Now you just got to get a few more guys on the forward side of things because Braden Tracy hasn't worked out yet and Perot hasn't worked out. So right now you're, you're hinging a lot of those hopes on past you up to be a top six goal scorer. You get one hopefully in the top end of this draft um, and then get you know a second first-round pick here. One of the three seconds you have, you hope you can add to that and, and go a little forward heavy and bring some guys in. So um, we're, we're back to the, the days of the Ducks defense prospects and defense core being strong and having a lot of guys on the way. And now it's about adding to the forward. So, yeah, and I think you know it goes to what we were talking about earlier, right? And like we didn't mention this, but Scott Wheeler has Anaheim as the number eight ranked prospect mm-hmm. pool, which like yeah, man, McTavish left, like yeah. it makes sense, right? You know what I mean? So like I think what you can see is they have a top ten prospect pool with lots of guys who look like they have plenty of opportunity and potential to be contributing members to a competitive team. Yeah. You would say the deficiency is the truly high-end offense, uh, the truly high-end forwards, and the truly high-end defensemen. Although, again, Minchikov and Zellweger are incredible with what they're doing right now. And Drysdale might as well still be a prospect, given he's only played, what, 80 games, something like that? No, probably something. You could even say McTavish deserves to still be in that category. Right, for sure. so. So I think what you're saying is, like, Okay, they've got their guy who should be the goalie. They've got two of the best goalie prospects. We haven't even talked about Kelly Klein. You know what I mean? And it's just about, all right, got to just juice that top six a little bit more, and then it's a development game. That's the thing about them being ranked where they are. It's not ranked where they are because they have one or two really high-profile prospects, and the rest are mediocre. Mm -hmm. It's strength in numbers. They've got a lot of real quality prospects, maybe not – you know, with McTavish now graduating, it's nobody in the top 20 or a bunch of guys in the top 20 prospects in the league, but it's, you know, a bunch of guys in like that top 50, right? Of really, yeah. or top 100. So it's a well rounded out prospect pool. And then you add one of those top four guys this year to it. That probably brings them up into the top five, I would imagine. Um, you know, you maybe you leapfrog the Kings and a few other teams that aren't going to add to that pool this year by getting a guy like a Bedard or a Fantilli or a Mitchkov into that prospect pool. And if you, you do well with a few of your seconds, that's where you, you start to climb there. But uh, that's the one thing they're and missing. And the one thing they have been missing is, is that elite end prospect, really, to, to both sides of things in, in their prospect system. Yeah, and I think, you know, the thing to remember when you say something like in that top 50 or top 100, there's 32 teams. Yeah. A top 100 prospect is in the, again, average out is a top three prospect in every pool a top 50 is a top one and a half prospect in every pool like again i think you just said it perfectly they've got a lot of kicks at the cans they've got a lot of guys who can do a little different things they are missing a little bit more of that truly dynamic offense with zegris and mctavish up at the pros but that's what this draft is going to have the opportunity for them to do and those guys, the guys that they do have, have legitimate, you know, top half of the lineup upside. Mm-hmm. And there's guys here that can be depth players, you know. I still like Sam Colangelo, yeah. even if he is only a fourth liner down the line. I, I like, you know, a big body hard slap shot dude who can maybe just pour in seven or eight goals a year on some bullshit. Like, that sounds awesome to yeah. me. So, I, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. It's It's such a weird thing, I think. As the season has gone on and as I've kind of settled into exactly – because, like, I came into this year expecting it to be this bad, basically. 
But I also think when it's a day-to-day thing, it's really hard to like have any sense of general optimism because it's just like, fuck, this sucks every day. (laughs) There's a lot to be excited about when you're able to step back, take a, you know, the hundred foot view of everything. There's so much here to be excited about. And it just might take a couple years. It might take a little bit of time. Obviously no rebuild is foolproof. No rebuild is perfect, but there is a lot here to be excited about. There's a lot of guys on this team right now that can be flipped down the line or part of a team down the line. Like Anaheim's in a really good spot. It's, you know, again, this draft is going to be huge. This trade deadline, because of what it's going to mean for that draft, is going to be huge. And he has to pick a good coach this summer. That's going to matter a lot, is who he gets to coach this team. Um, You know, so I'm very curious. I'm going to be very, very curious. But, you know, I think by, you know, the beginning of August of next year, we'll have an idea whether it's two or three years away. Yeah. I think so. We'll we'll get a better look, obviously, who they come out of the draft with, and then once we see how this team is built for next year, you'll get a an idea uh, of how close they are. Um, all right. The only thing I want to get into before we kind of wrap, look, do our game day predictions, we have to talk about it. Um, I don't know if I, I don't want like if I want to go too in depth on it because it has kind of been resolved. Uh, maybe we've missed like the boat in a sense to have like a deeper discussion about it. But the whole Zegris, Trey Stetcher, lip reading controversy that went on. Um, Obviously, the game I think it was the first game against the Coyotes and Ducks, or the, mm-hmm. the second cat. Yeah, so the first game, um, Stetcher and Zegers. no, it was the second one. Yeah, okay, because it was yeah we didn't because have any. it's going to be a minute till they they matched up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in the, that last game, um, there's a scrum scuffle. Zegers and Stetcher exchange words. Zegers said something that uh, inappropriate is what the team has deemed it as that got Stetcher going heated more than I've seen anybody really get heated from you know, smack talking or trash talking, right? Like it just extended a little bit, like chased him down to the box and was, was going. So something that, that set him off. He was John at the ref about it. Like, yeah. It was a lot. Something was said for sure. The, the, the issue we get into is um, the lip reading experts come out after the video gets released. And one person um, I believe is a, a either a Canucks fan or a Stetcher fan or a fan of the Coyotes or something came out and, clipped the video and made note that it looks like Zegris said something about Troy Stetcher's late father saying, you know, your dad's up there watching and I don't know the full context of it, but really, really kind of harmful stuff to get out there when you don't have the audio or anything. You're just kind of lip reading what a guy's saying. If anybody's watched those, um, those fake lip reading videos that they put out, right. the comedy ones, you can tell how easy it is to make somebody seem like they're saying something. Um, based off lip reading so it by no means is it an accurate way to to judge what somebody's saying especially when it's something that that is that potentially offensive right to put that out there and say that this guy said this like that that's damaging to a player player's character um player's career potentially to to put that on there I, i know that's probably not what the intentions were from the person who posted it but it devolved into this whole day and a half long thing where it was actual news Reporters were out trying to figure out what was said, if that was said, mm-hmm. looking for con- uh, comments from Stetcher, from the Coyotes, from Zegras. Ultimately got resolved, and it turned out that wasn't what he said. We still don't know what it was, but what do you think about that? Like That, that for me, is like the ridiculous side of sports media and everything being kind of access to social media, that something like that starts, and then it spreads and becomes damaging from there. So my initial reaction was, 
we're really jumping to this? Like, yeah. it... I guess for me, it just seems so unlikely that that is what it would be about. I know people said he was pointing up, but he also spun his finger. Yeah. So, like, to me, it was not in heaven. Like, you don't go about heaven like this. Like, you know what I mean? That's not how you talk about it. Yeah. It's just, like, up, straight up. But he was doing this. So, like, to me, like, that kind of cut at the credibility. Uh, Credibility, legitimacy, likelihood, whatever you want to say of it. Two, for everybody to run with it in the way that they did was very frustrating because it felt like people were very excited. And I made a comment the night of that it felt to me, or maybe it was the next day, but one of the two. But it felt to me like the majority of the conversation around whether or not he did say this and that he did, it felt like it was coming from people who don't like Zegras. You don't have to like him. I don't care, right? I'm not going to sit here and please like my star. Like, I don't give a shit. But it did feel like there are a lot of people who don't like him and they think he's a shithead. Yeah, that were willing Um, and happy to jump to that conclusion. And were more more than happy to think of this of him. Yeah. And that sucks, and I feel bad for Trevor that he kind of had to go through that. Mm -hmm. But I think the longer I sat with it, I think the big takeaway for me has become, what does it say about this league that this many people felt that this was a real possibility? Yeah. So We never had anything like that before. Um, I I don't – yeah, I don't – I don't know. I, you know, I don't, this is a weird thing, right? Because people were like, uh, he's talking about his father. That's out of bounds. Blah, blah, blah. Then it was like, he came out and it was like, Oh, maybe he was talking about his girlfriend or his wife. And a lot of people were like, Oh, that's still out of bounds. I don't know. Like it's trash talk between professional athletes. Like in general, trash talk is awful. Like I don't moralize trash talk. Brad Marshall is out here he, trash talking fans, wives on Twitter publicly. So I don't I don't To me, yeah. as long as it's not a slur, I don't really get all that now, let me be very, very clear when I say this. You say some shit to me, you're going to upset me. Yeah. I say some shit to you, I'm going to upset you. I don't think that that's not the way it works. What I am saying is as a third party, how much I want to take personal moral offense to what is said, the line is a slur. Like, that's the line for me. When it's a slur, when it is definitively, clearly motivated by by malice and it's derogatory, that's my problem. I don't really care if one player tells another player, say hi to your wife for me. Like, I don't care. I don't. I honestly, and again, this is bad. I don't know how much I'm going to care if a player makes a comment like that, what Trevor Zegers was alleged to have said to another player. Yeah. It's weird. It's out. It's like absolutely out of bounds in so much as like, dude, how is that where you went? Yeah. But again, like, I, I just think the parasocial relationship aspect of sports makes a lot of people pour a lot of time and energy and love into these sports. 
and into these athletes. We develop these weird parasocial one-sided relationships with these athletes. And it creates all sorts of weird things. And a lot of it, you know, a lot of it is really sweet, right? You have players, like you have fans who are just fawning over players' dogs or players' kids or, oh my God, their wife or whatever, right? Like when the Backstrom OV commercial came out, the number of people who were excited that Nastia Ovechkin was in the commercial is cool to me, right? She's like a low-key celebrity for Caps fans themselves. It's a weird dynamic, but we have to understand that they don't know us and they don't care about us yep. in in a personal sense, right? I don't want to say that they don't care about the fans. They don't appreciate the fans. We've seen that there are players who go out of their way to treat fans well, um, you know, throwing pucks over the glass, giving sticks away, signing this, signing that, whatever. Yep. But it's not a personal thing. And I think that level of personal investment is necessary, but I think it needs to be checked at times. I am just as guilty of this as anybody else at times where I just get all fired up about stuff and I have to remind myself, bro, they don't know who you are. They don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And I I want us to have a general sense of decency that that is like a common center of like, yo, we don't go here. But it's really hard to decide that for other people. Yeah. And for me, that's why it comes back to slurs. And I know that's, about as low as the bar can reasonably be. I, I Let me say it this way. I Honest to God, I think the only thing that would come near a slur that isn't a slur was, I hope X person in your family fucking dies. Yeah. That's across the line. That is the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head right now, right? Wishing legitimate harm and ill onto a person, Right. If I say – if we're in a scrum in the front of the net and I say, I hope you get your ass kicked, I don't care. That, that, that's – fuck, whatever. If I and you are in a scrum and I say to you, I hope your wife drives into a fucking lake, yeah. that's a problem. Yeah. That's the line to me. And, and I think and, I think the thing – the problem with this whole thing too is there's different lines for different people as well. Right. Is that – people who and that's why I have a little bar. Yeah. The people who don't give a shit about – what he said, you know, what they, the, he was alleged to have said. Like, there was a lot of people who just didn't care. Like, oh, that's fine. Like, that happens. It's pro sports. People say mm-hmm. things. Like, people cross the mm-hmm. line. It's not, like you said, it's not, you know, a slur. It's not something that I, I guess, like, it's universally thought you probably shouldn't say something about somebody's parents sure, who passed absolutely. away. But it's not to that same level. And for some people, that's fine. For some people, that, you know, it crosses the line. The problem I think we get is we judge what crosses the line based on how much we like or don't like that that person. So for a lot right. of people, they don't like Trevor Zegras, so that crossed a line because they don't like him already. Morally, mm-hmm. if it was their favorite player or something, there's an argument that they probably could have had there that, oh, like, whatever. Like, I like this guy, so it didn't cross mm-hmm. the line for me, but I don't like him, so it crosses the line. I think that's the problem we got into is, like, listen, if he had said that, that's horrible. Like, you don't say that to somebody, especially somebody who just lost a parent. Like, you don't say that. Right. But at the same time, like, again, that crosses the line for some people and, and for some people it doesn't. And, like, you can guaranteed that there is some nasty ass shit that's still on the ice that you don't hear and that you don't find out about every night every every, every night. single night and it's not really meant to be heard by anybody off the ice for nope. a reason um and that's mm-hmm. in every pro sport trash talking is just there and listen it doesn't make it right if he had said that still would have been a real shitty thing for him to say if that was the case a super fucked up thing to say that's the thing right i don't mm-hmm. i don't want to come off like i am inherently condoning the comment because if he had said that like fuck dude like 
really that's where you went yeah it's, it's, it's just at a point where you can you can be on either it's side just, of that line and there's no surprise to somebody being on the other side of that line like there, there's yeah, an argument you I think can that's be a great had way to say it where there are certain things like you said the where the bar you have is set is like everybody can come out of that and be like listen like that was not okay like that was offside right mm-hmm. and, and that this borderlines and gets close to it for a lot of people and i think for me I personally so. mm-hmm. it would have been you know really really shitty for him to actually say something like that and that would cross the line for me but again i, I can see somebody's argument saying for me like that doesn't cross the line Say, people say shit all the time on the ice. Like I could, I can understand somebody coming from that point and saying, "Listen, like I'm not upset with him as much as somebody else would be for saying it." And I, mm-hmm. and the the problem I have is with that because you can have that much variance in how much it bothers somebody or not. The decide ultimate deciding factor becomes how much do I like this guy or don't like this guy, and that's where I think it gets to be a problem. Right? Is when you can make that yeah. you can make that judgment on if what he said was okay or not was based on how much I like this guy, then that's not right at that point we should be able to make it whatever he said should be what we should be judging it off of not whether i like this guy or not here's the other thing trevor zegris is gonna get his ass kicked at some point Mm -hmm. he talks a lot of shit i love it i like i think we talked about this earlier in the season the penny dropped for me and i was like he's Corey perry he's not getzloff he's Corey perry he's going in there he's cross-chesting guys after the whistles he's throwing elbows he's talking constant shit he doesn't shut up you know he's talking to his own guys he's talking shit to everybody on the other team like we saw it in the boston game where trent frederick just decided to lose his mind because zegra scored a goal and basically was like yeah fuck off i got you now He's going to get his ass kicked. If he had said that about Stetcher's dad, I would be more than happy for Stetcher to beat the shit out of him yep. in a fight on the ice. Yep. I also don't have a problem if guys would have ran at him, like taken real runs at him for that. Because those are your teammates. They have your back. You don't talk about my bud like that, right? It's 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 a different relationship. Mm-hmm. And if you want to actually make that player accountable and hold them to you like look dude we're gonna run at you until you fight one of us whether you want to or not you're gonna have to do it right we saw cassian do this with kachuk yep. he chased him around constantly he was like no you're gonna fight me i'm gonna make it happen you can do this now or you can do this later and i don't think that that's bad i don't think that like you know i saw somebody online say like it should be like a suspension or a fine i'm like that's not gonna fucking do anything yeah There's no part of that. And, again, what we're doing is creating a line that not everybody sees. And I don't think that that's fair. Yeah. No. And so, you know, I just think he's going to get his ass kicked at some point. Whether or not it mellows him out is entirely up to him. He knows that, too. I imagine the the quality. Yeah, that's the other thing. I don't think he has any, like, misconceptions about what he's doing. Yeah. And what the potential price he's going to have to pay is. I don't think that's the way it is, right? Because, again, like, even when you go back to the whole Troy Terry thing last year with Arizona and he cut that promo, his whole point was just like, Terry doesn't do this shit. Not that nobody deserves it. Yeah. It was, he's a, what do you say, 30 goal scorer in this league. Yeah. He's a superstar in this league and he doesn't play that way. Nobody cares if it's Corey Perry. Nobody cares if it's Ovechkin or Kucherov, right? We know that there are asshole superstars who get Matthew Kachuk, right? These guys exist. We're not saying you can't 
do like we're not saying that that doesn't exist but there is an understanding that like it's depend like i guys don't go into those phrase all the time like you see it every time there's a thing. There are certain guys who the first thing they do is look for somebody else on the outside, yeah. and then they give them a hug. And they're just like, we're not doing this. And the other guy's like, yeah, that's fine. And then, you know, whatever. Like, it's up to these players, in a sense, to kind of decide which li- which side of these lines yep. that they want to live on. But they have to be willing to pay the price for that. Yeah, and they and and that, they know what know, that line is. You you know, find out quick when you play like yes. that what that line is. I'm sure Zegras is not stupid he understands that there's times he crosses that line and he knows exactly what he's played hockey long enough to know exactly what the consequences are if he does cross that line um and he's Corey probably perry crossed the line never a found times. a goalie yeah absolutely Corey perry never found a goalie that he couldn't fall on he knew that every time that he went into that paint or near the top of that crease he was going to get 50 cross checks in the back yep. and he made the decision that's fine he knew he was going to get popped after whistles like like there's just players who understand what this is if you're going to engage in this thing right like that's why like what was it maxim lapierre i think yep. fucking hated that guy because he wanted to live on that side of the line never wanted to pay the price mm-hmm. i don't mind if you talk shit i don't mind if you don't talk shit but if you're gonna talk shit it again it's the internet axiom of like 2022 you're gonna fuck around and you're gonna find out Somebody is going to tell you exactly where these lines are, yep. and you can either decide for yourself if you want to keep going across it or not. But I don't have to let you talk to me that way, and at that point, it's up to you. And so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, listen. I'm, I think I'm, I'm just old and <laughs> violent and angry. I'm glad it's over um, and it's resolved because it was it was getting a little down a, a path we didn't want it to go at that point. Um, all right. Real quick, yep. one more thing I want to say. Because I touched on this, but I don't know that I really rounded this point out. And I don't know that I can, but I want to just mention this. I do think hockey needs to take a real serious look and in so much as what the culture is that we're putting forward or the perception of the players is that, again, so many people who very clearly and very legitimately, okay, I don't want to say people are pretending, feel that that crosses a line without any actual proof, we're so ready to believe that that was what was said. And that's the part of this for me that I think reflects the most poorly on the league. No, that's fair. All right. We got to get to these game previews. I really didn't think we were going to hit two hours, and we made sure we did. We always have to. We always have to. We got game previews and the outro. It should take us right to two hours here. Four games this week. Um, okay, so hold on, I gotta pull this up. Is it in the dock? Yeah, I just gotta pull it up because there's four. Pacific okay. Falls to the Central. Monday at Dallas. So many mini road trip here. Two games. Uh, and Monday at Dallas. Tuesday at Chicago back to back. Friday at home versus Pittsburgh, and then back quickly on the road for Vegas on Sunday. Tough matchups there, specifically Dallas, Pittsburgh, Vegas. Chicago's been mm-hmm. better as of late, but what do you got for the first game? Monday at Dallas, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. What do you got? Ducks? Stars? I'll take the Stars winning in regulation. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, they've been great all year and haven't 
get this much rest off and go play them out mm-hmm. in Dallas. That's going to be a tough one. Um, back to back next night, Tuesday at five thirty against Chicago. Mm-hmm. I'll say we win that one. Okay. They suck. I'll take it. Uh, Friday at home against Pittsburgh. Wait, what do you have for Chicago? Oh, uh, I'm going. I'm going loss against Chicago. I'm going loss. So you have loss, loss. Yeah, loss, loss for the road trip to start the week back to back. I'm going to say that they beat Pittsburgh in a shutout, and that causes Ron Hextall to trade for John Gibson. Hmm. I, I have them. I have them beating Pittsburgh too. That's what. That's the game I thought they they could win back home um, against the Penguins. I I have them. Uh, winning that one, and then I have them losing on Sunday against Vegas. Yeah, they're not going to be Vegas. Yeah. They always lose to Vegas. in Vegas too. Yeah, so <laughs> I feel like you're going to get a, a one OT loss out of that. So I'm going one two one next week. I think that's fair. I'll take I'll take one three zero. We're so optimistic. <laughs> no, I had no, I had two 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 two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would be a little bit more confident in them their ability to win the Dallas game if it was an older team. But because it's young, I think coming back from the break, they're going to have to find their legs. Fair. Where Dallas, like Joe Pavelski, Tyler Sagan, yeah. you know, Jamie Benn, like they've done this. They'll be ready to go, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're there, we're officially back now. And hopefully when I hop off here, this one actually recorded your audio this time. Um, thanks for listening, guys. If you want to help us keep going throughout the season, you can find us on Apple Podcasts uh, and Spotify. Leave us a rating and review on both of those platforms, uh, and we'll read them on the show when we can. Uh, all video versions of this show exist on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash Podcast. Make sure to subscribe. Hit the little notification bell so you know when we release new episodes. Check out our website at forevermighty.com to find everything in one place, where to watch, listen to the show, how to support the show, and where to find us on social media. Which for Twitter, you can find us at, at ForeverMightyFM, at Eddie Van Jones, and at The Hockey Boomer. But thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everybody who continues to support the show. I know we, we were kind of off there for a month, but hoping to be back on a more regular basis. Uh, some plans upcoming for the trade deadline. So just appreciate you guys all listening and coming back, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody.